Hey, it's Scott. And what you're going to hear in just a little bit is actually a live podcast recording that we did, but we, we did it webinar style and we allowed people to send in questions, ask questions. And the reason why I'm coming on beforehand is because we've been getting a huge, like a, I can't even tell you how many questions and concerns and worries and you name it in light of uncertain times with the things like coronavirus and social distancing and you know, some companies doing hiring freezes and you name it. We've been getting so many questions. And also at the same time, we have realized that for people who are looking to make career changes, this is actually a really great opportunity in many different ways. And we've also realized that almost nobody is looking at it in that that way. So in an effort to try and answer as many of the questions as we possibly can that we're getting on a constant basis and also be able to share with you how to how to move through some of these uncertain times and, and challenging times and still be able to make your career change in a way that really fits you is good for you is good for the organizations that you might be interested in and everything in between and honestly just give you give you more hope and a light at the end of the tunnel in order to in order to navigate through all of these crazy semi unprecedented times we're going to do a couple of different things. Thing number one, we're actually having several different webinars to just answer a lot of those questions directly that we're getting about you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 impacting uh, with, uh, with the job market, but also career change in general and how to move through some of those pieces. So feel free to you know, drop me an email directly and I'll help you get registered for those webinars, Scott at happenyourcareer.com. So that's one thing that we're doing. And actually, we're going to replay those webinars here on the podcast as recordings too, so that you can benefit from those, even if for some reason you can't attend, but you can actually show up live, get your questions answered that are personal, specific to you. The other thing that we're doing too, is we're taking some of the most common questions that we're getting, and we're going to be answering those one a day for the next week here in between our normal podcast episodes that air on Monday and Thursday. And I wanted to do this just because it is very apparent that a lot of us are very worried out there. And uh, a lot of us are concerned about how this can impact all of the areas of our lives, especially our careers. And in reality it is, but also at the same time, I want to give you hope and encouragement that if making a career change is important to you in one way or another, maybe even now more important than ever before, then I want to make sure that you have a way to get guided through that. So look out for those episodes, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and look for those in between our regular episodes here coming up for the next week. All right, now on with the show. And in light of that, many organizations have absolutely made the decision to move to remote work, either for a temporary time period or um, what may happen afterwards is some of those may make that a more permanent part. 
This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Hey, welcome back to the Happen to Your Career podcast. We're trying something new today. It's something we haven't quite done before in this particular way. And a lot of the times when when you listen to HTYC and you listen to this show, you're hearing somebody that we've brought on in the past where they're they're either telling us about their journey after the fact and telling us how they made their change, or we're talking to uh, author... New York Times selling author or a speaker or somebody else that has something really valuable to say that I know that you can benefit from. This time, it's completely different. And this time, the star of the show is you, or rather people just like you, our readers, our listeners, because we're actually recording this in a live format this time around, something we've never, never quite done before where we have taken your questions. We've had many of these sent to us in advance and we've pulled out some of the most compelling questions to try and answer them here live on the show for the first time. I have some people with me to be able to help out. Josh Rivers is here. He's the man who works behind the scenes tirelessly to bring the podcast to you and turn it into the very finished, polished, professional format that you hear again and again and again. He's here with us to make sure everything goes smoothly on the tech side. We would not have been able to bring this podcast to you for the last seven plus years without Josh happening to our podcast behind the scenes. And then I also have with me Philip Mienko. Philip is our director of student success. He's been with us for approaching two years. And he's here to make sure that not only do we get some of the questions answered, but also to share a different perspective on it at the same time. Okay. Without further ado, though, I wanted to dive into a few of these questions. And one of the most <laughs> one of the most common recent questions that we've had, that we've never had before in light of recent events, comes to us from Megan. And she had said, in light of COVID-19 outbreak, how will this impact my career change? How will this impact my job search? And she goes on to say, you know, should I, should I wait it out? Should I start now? Should I start later? And she provided a little bit of context to, and I think this is a really very valid question. And, you know, I have, I've got a lot to say on this. I've been thinking about this actually nonstop for the last two to three weeks or so for a variety of different reasons, partially for myself, but also you know, how this does in fact impact career changers and how does this impact you know, people who really have it as a priority right now to, to make a change to something that they want and a career that really fits them. So Philip and I are going to try and answer this together here. Philip, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the, on the get-go of this. Yes, yeah, Scott. One of the biggest thoughts, because I've been talking to you hundreds of people um, <laughs> on this call uh, about this. But I think one of the biggest things is that for most people, it's very much a time of uncertainty. So 
really the biggest concern is make sure you're keeping yourself, your family, and all your loved ones safe and, and healthy. I just received an alert on my phone about making sure I stay indoors. And I think all of our team practices social distancing because we, we, we uh, work remotely. But I think part of it too is, is that for a lot of people who we are coaching um, in helping really in this job search is that it's getting really creative and making sure that first safety is the biggest priority, but Zoom, Skype, all these services are free. So you can also utilize a lot of these types of things uh, for free and, and be creative in how you reach out. I know Scott has a couple of things he wanted to mention about really how we're seeing people come through here too. But what we know true is that a lot of these companies still have these needs that they're hiring for. And probably too, if you're listening to the podcast, that you still also are wanting to find work that aligns you. And just because of what we have going on in the world doesn't mean that need goes away. And also doesn't mean you can't start now. So I yeah. think one of the biggest things is is starting now, but make sure you're doing it in a safe in a safe way. And there's a bunch of tools we have now, especially for remote work, that can make that uh, can make that happen. So I know that you know, prior to us pressing record and getting going on this show, we pulled some of the audience that's listening in live and viewing live right now. And many of them are practicing social distancing. So this is not going to be abnormal at, at this point. We're doing the exact same thing. And in light of that, many organizations have absolutely made the decision to move to remote work, either for a temporary time period or um, what may happen afterwards is some of those may make that a more permanent part. What I don't know, and that I don't know for sure, but that'll be really interesting to see. Here's what I know for sure, though, is that there are a few organizations that have temporarily suspended their hiring practices. What I've seen so far is that that's that's not the majority. The vast majority, to Philip's point, are still very much in need of people. They're still, in, in some cases, in need of more people at this point. And one of the things that I've also seen is that many, uh, many people around the world during times where there are uneasiness, they will stop their job search. So I start to put these pieces together and here's what I would expect to happen. I would expect that those organizations that are continuing to grow and are even growing uh, through this type of this type of pandemic, this type of situation are going to continue to need more people. That's not going to go away. And as I mentioned before, there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to stop their search in one way or another. This spells out no better time in some ways. And I say that not to make light of the current situation because it, as Philip pointed out, you still need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, your family first, and you know other, other potential people in regards to the outbreak. That said, I think that this creates an opportunity for those who have um, have it is one of the highest priorities in in their life to do work that fits them. So uh, he, the thing that I found is that 
when you're focused on your priorities, you know, whether it be family, whether it be uh, uh, friends, whether it be, you know, whatever the priorities are in your life. And in this case, if uh, a priority right now is doing work that fits you or is more meaningful or that you enjoy is the right type of challenge for you, uh, it pays well, all of those types of things. If that is a priority for you, then there's not a reason to stop. But there is every single reason to continue in one way or another because the opportunity is going to be uh, easier in one way. It's never easy, but it's going to be easier than it has ever before in some ways. Here's the other thing that we haven't talked a lot about on this show is we get so many people that call us or that we have conversations with that are looking for much more flexible work. And also it's easier. Well, one of the questions that comes from that is after we start helping them, like, how do I figure out which organizations are open to more flexibility? Now more than ever before, that's actually apparent in the in the public eye. Um, you used to have to do a lot of guesswork. So there's there's a lot of reasons to continue. But I think that the other thing that we see again and again is that the sooner people start, the sooner people get to where they want to go. We don't really see that changing a lot. So those are those are my thoughts on uh, COVID nineteen. I understand totally that it can be scary and it can be a time of fear. I think one of the ways that you can support not spreading the panic is continuing on with the things that are a priority to you, whatever those be, whether it be friends, family, uh, or work that fits you. What's our next question, Philip? Our next question comes from Tina. Um, and Tina asks, how can I reconcile emotionally from leaving a former role with a new role? This is such a great question. Yeah. It's such a great question because I think a lot of people don't anticipate that there's going to be such a difference. I think so many people anticipate the opposite fact that <laughs> I'm going to make a move to a new role and it's going like everything is going to be amazing. And what we found is that, well, there may be many things that, uh, that may be amazing. One of the things that doesn't get talked about behind the scenes is that when you move into a new role, there can be, can be the leftover of, you know, identifying with what that previous role did for you or identifying with how you were perceived in that past role versus a a new role. And that is, it's real and it just doesn't get talked about. So uh, there's a couple of things that I always tell people when they're, when they're making a move of any kind uh, into, into a new role. And uh, one of those, one of those is that when you are, when you are making a move, when you are trying to identify, even when you're back and even before you've made the move, when you're trying to identify what creates a a great role for you, the more that you can uh, focus less on making the occupation or the pieces that come with it a part of your identity, the more that that's going to be an easier transition for you. So let me give you a couple examples. So if I identify, and I I do absolutely in many ways identify with 
you know, being a CEO, it's my CEO, it's my job title. Uh, in the past, you know, I used to be an HR director. I absolutely identified with that and it did a lot for me. Um, it made me feel good. It made me feel proud of some of the things that I was doing. Like I absolutely was proud of, uh, of those two different job titles. Also, if I put a huge amount of emphasis on my identity there, then that can be taken away at any point in time. And that's very often where that emotional difficulty will come from. So versus if I put my, if I put more of my identity in other things that are actually transferable, like I, more recently in, you know, past 10 years or so, I put much more of my identity in being the type of person who is extremely curious or being the type of person who's going to be a leader and develop themselves as a leader, no matter what, or being the type of person who is very willing to get outside their comfort zone. And so those things are are different. Those things are actually really, really helpful in a CEO role or really, really helpful in an HR director role, but they're actually transferable. And if my job situation changes, my job title or, um, or you know, what role I serve changes, then those still serve me very, very well. And there's less emotional fallout. So Tina, the advice that I would give to, to you is that the more that you can focus on those areas that you want to become in the future and that you identify with, that's going to, although it's not going to make it easy, it's going to make it easier to be able to have less of that emotional fallout. I know that's that's very hard, but I would start with just a few pieces and sitting down and saying, who do I want to be? Who do I want to become in the in the future? Philip, is there anything that you would add to that for Tina? Yeah. So I think there's a there's a couple things to add there. And when I think about, you know the emotions of when you are potentially leaving a former role and going to a new role. Often I talk to our clients and talk to many people who are coming to us about they like their job. They like the people that they work with and they like the people that they're the person people or that, that they work for. And so when I also think about leaving your former role to really go to a new role, often I find that um, one, it's the whole journey emotionally from, adopting one identity and moving towards another mm-hmm. um, like Scott was mentioning, but also I find that happens too. When people want to leave their current job with integrity, it's usually how I hear most people put it or they'll say, Hey, I don't want to burn any bridges with my, with my uh, previous job before. And so when I think about that, I think about how, how can you best make sure that you've got a plan laid out that you're communicating what and when needs to happen best for you. But, but ultimately this is now emotionally making a decision for yourself and to kind of use what Scott mentioned, you're becoming the CEO of your own life and your own career change. So adopting how a CEO would potentially exit a company with friends and that, that you enjoy working with, but also making sure you're leaving there with integrity that you have done everything possible to make sure you're setting up the next person, but the, the company for success. So if that's succession planning, if that might be you're training the next person, whether that's something we do internally at Happen to Your Career as we set up, uh, we call them SOPs, but 
standard operating procedures, um, all those kinds of things. But what I what it it makes um, it makes that whole journey a little bit more easier if if you found the last roll a little bit uh, or left the roll a little bit better than you found it. I think that's the way you say it. But yeah, that's yeah. only an end. Yeah. I just, I really like this question because it really is just something that doesn't get talked about at all, hardly any place. And we find that behind the scenes, even as we're helping people make transitions, this is something we're spending a lot of time helping people with because we often are helping those types of people that Philip mentioned that really care about the company and people that they're leaving behind at the same time as they're interested in, you know, moving to the new role. So I think that there's a lot of ways that this shows up in a, a, I think that Tina, I just want to give you some encouragement that since you're thinking about this in the first place in any capacity, uh, I've got a ton of hope for you because most people are, are not thinking about it enough to be able to ask this type of question in this way. That's, that's awesome. And Philip, it, what's it, our, it, n- people get stuck here too. What I would say is tons of people get stuck in this point and they'll be here for a long time. And that's where we, then that's where we talk to people when they might've stayed there for too long. So it's, it's definitely both of, both of those things. Um, a couple of, one of the other questions that we got is from Lori and Lori asks, how do I communicate my desire for a new opportunity within my organization? Again, it's one, another question that we don't get as often. So Scott, what's your perspective? You know, I think this is possibly one of the most underrated areas across the board. I think when a lot of people come to us or a lot of people find the podcast, they're much more interested in like, how do I find the right type of occupation and how do I make a career change and how do I, you know, use transferable skills and all kinds of things like that. We get those types of questions pretty frequently. A lot of people are not as interested in trying to understand how to make a change, a new opportunity within their organization. And the reason I think that this is so important is I think that this is going to be a whole skill set in itself that needs to be developed for professionals in the future. So I think this is super cool that Lori's asking about this and how she can communicate desire for new opportunity in the organization in the first place. Um, First of all, I'll tell you, and one of the things that we we created and I wrote a long time ago, it used to be called Get a Raise Guide. We're actually repurposing it. Um, I've been working on it behind the scenes, and it's going to be called something completely new. And we'll end up end up posting it on the website. But in the meantime, until that happens, um, feel free to email me directly, Scott at happentoyourcareer.com, and I'll send you a copy of uh, this. which the steps I'm going to go over come directly out of what we used to call get a raise guide. So Lori, the, the weird thing about this is the same steps that go into like negotiating a raise, the same steps that go into negotiating flexibility, the same steps that really go into asking for what you want and putting yourself in a position to where you're more likely to get what you want which means, you know, creating the time and place or reverse engineering that are the same ones that go into communicating your desire for new opportunity within the organization. So step one, you must have a great relationship with your boss or your boss's boss or whoever makes the decisions 
about these types of things, you know, whether it be pulling budget strings, whether it be having the authority to to create positions or shift positions or the willingness to influence or go to bat for you. So if you don't if you don't have a great relationship with those people, that is step one. It, one of the easiest ways that I found again and again and again, if you want to build up the relationship with either your boss or somebody else in the, in the organization is to do very, very, very effective 15 minute one-on-ones. What that looks like is you go to your your boss and you say something along the lines of, hey, I really want to make sure that you and I are continuously on the same page. Here's what I would propose, uh, that you and I just spend 15 minutes a week. I come completely prepared. I'm driving the conversation. And every single week, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to share what I believe are my top three priorities. Within those top three priorities, the reason I want to do that is I want to make sure that I am, one, making your life easier, and two, you are able to say yes or no, these are not the priorities that the, that you should be working on, or absolutely, these are, you know, go execute on that, and, and that's going to be great. But it creates that dialogue to where your boss or whoever you're having this one-on-one with continuously feels like you're on the same page with them, that you're driving your section of the organization forward, whatever that looks like, and is continuing to build trust. Because what you can then do from there is go overachieve on those on those priorities, those top three priorities, and that's going to be really, really helpful. It sets you up for being able to have this type of conversation or many different asks. By the way, this is one of the ways that, you know, back when I was doing HR leadership and building this business at the same time, this is one of the ways that I organized or um, asked for and got an incredibly flexible schedule so I could go report, record podcasts during the middle of the day and my boss was very well aware about it and was supportive of it. And I still got all my stuff done and ended up overachieving. So you can do the same thing. But from here, here's the script that I would use after you already have a great relationship. I would go ahead and set up a time with your boss to discuss this. What that can look like initially is you saying, hey, I've got something really important I want to talk to you about. The reason you say that is because it flags that, hey, this is something really important. It's not something that's standard and run of the mill. It, instead, it is out of the ordinary. And it's in, it is important to have that flag for them so they can say, oh, oh okay, all right, <laughs> fantastic. And you go on to, to ask, you know, I'd love to set up a time with you that I'm able to I'm able to to chat with you about this. Um, could we put time on the calendar? Ideally, get away from the office. Um, I think many people right now are probably away from the office if you're working remotely. So in this particular case, you're just going to want to have a separate time on the calendar where you're not going to get interrupted, and that way it's going to get full attention. Then. Show up to that conversation and show up with an agenda. Often I'll write out a one pager of what is the summary of what I'm looking for and why. In this case, what I'm actually going to ask for, I'm going to say something along these lines. I'm going to say, Hey, uh, you know, I so appreciate what you have done 
uh, for me in this in this organization, and I'm going to list off specifics. Specifics are really important. And I'm going to go on to be able to say, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to grow and I want to make sure that I'm continuing to contribute in the organization. That's not just really, really great for me, but also really great for the organization itself. So I would love to talk to you about what it would take for me to move into a different opportunity over the long term. I'm not asking to move immediately, but I am wanting to make sure that I'm being proactive and coming to you to understand what this is going to take, how I could get your support, and this is the clincher, how I can get your advice for how I go about this. That is incredibly important, partially because when you would ask for advice, essentially what you're doing is you're taking on a partner. Instead of it being you and your boss, uh, and like it's you versus them, even if you already have a great relationship. Now, at this point, you've just taken on a partner who can assist with this entire process. The other thing that's going to be critical in that first conversation is to let them know that, hey, I. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but I wanted to have one conversation that begins maybe a series of conversations to really understand what this what this could look like, to be able to share with you also some of what I'm looking for, and to get your continuous feedback for how this might be possible and what you see as being a great opportunity for me within the organization over the long term too. I also want to be clear that I'm not looking for this instantly tomorrow. Uh, and when you share with those couple of things for your boss, it's going to make it a whole lot easier to do all that. Now you can have the open communication. You've got an open line of communication. And at this point, you need to drive it. But that's one of the best ways to be able to set up the conversation and uh, get a partner out of it to be able to help you make it happen. Philip, um, this is a really great question by Lori but I think we have another one coming up here too. You want to share that question and, and take a first crack at it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this question comes from Bill and Bill is asking after, um, after putting his family first for 25 years and staying in the same industry and wanting to how can he continue to find opportunities that are both um, a fit and that, he, that um, he can convince hiring managers to give him an offer without a major cut in his earnings. And I, I know Scott, if you listen to the podcast, one of his favorite things to do is negotiate. So I got to hold him back for a little bit because he, this is a negotiation <laughs> question right here. But one of the biggest things is, and this is something we talk about very often, is to be very clear on your your numbers, but really be clear on what are those minimum and ideals that you're really looking for. We do a lot in our programs to make sure that people are, really clear on that, but at least one of the things you can do now, and we, I was just actually talking with somebody about this, is being really clear on for you, what do your minimums look like? From a monthly standpoint, what are those actually? And knowing that, that can be your minimum amount. And then possibly timesing that number by two or three to get more of your more of your ideals of really where you're looking to go. But I always like the I always like when people ask the convince part, how do I convince a hiring manager to do these things for me. And really why I say to look up those numbers is it actually provides more confidence. And really when people ask the question about convince, they're not coming from a place of confidence. 
So part of knowing their numbers is that you're confident in the numbers that you have. But this is also being very clear about um, being very deliberate, decisive, and um, clear with, again, clear with with the, the question that you're looking to ask. So it's more of, if this is what the job is paying, here's what I know of where my minimums are and ideally where I'm looking to go. Is this something that this job pays or is something that this company does? And then waiting for a response back to them, back from them. I'm sorry. Um, that's usually what I'd say is knowing your numbers, but being, but often um, sometimes that might take practicing exactly saying something like that with a coach, with a friend or somebody else like that. Cause most of us don't have a lot of negotiation practice. A couple of, I love what you're talking about in terms of convince. So um, I don't want you to convince anybody. I want instead to create a completely different situation where they want you on board bad enough to where you're now having a conversation that puts you in a higher a higher position of power to negotiate. So there's really two parts to this question. And Phillips really delved into this, this negotiation piece of it in particular. And uh, two, other, two other quick comments on the negotiation side. First of all, you cannot negotiate until they want you. Like it's, <laughs> it is uh, one of the most useless things to do that, uh, it will kill an offer in many different ways. I've had so many people that um, try to try to negotiate um, when they're still in the where they're still in the what we call the dating stage, right? Because like finding a <laughs> finding a, a new role that really fits or making a job change, career change in any capacity whatsoever is quite a bit like dating. If you just sign up for the first one, uh, you know, after the first date, it, uh, it, sometimes that works out, but more than often it does not. And the odds are stacked against it to put it mildly. So instead, um, we want you to be able to go through and focus on making sure that they really actually want you before trying to throw those numbers around that Philip's talking about. Once you get to that point, then heck yeah, you can come back and you can, uh, after they've made an initial offer, then that's the point in time where you can come into it and be able to you know, use your data. And uh, often, it is the very best time when you're making a career change, when you're making a job change to a new organization, that is the very best time to be able to get a raise compared to what you are making right now. And most people don't think about it that like that. They're thinking, I'm going to have to make a pay cut if it's work that I actually enjoy in one way, or it's the right type of challenge for me, or it's actually meaningful work. Because for some reason out there, we decide, we have assigned meaningful work less value, which is crazy because that's not how it actually happens. Um, the uh, other side of this is a bit more complex. The other side of this, the first part of Bill's question is, hey, after putting my family first for 25 years and staying in the same industry, uh, how, how do I find opportunities that are a better fit that also pay well? So this is something that, to be really clear, when we're working with people behind the scenes, we'll often work with them for months 
Sometimes it's, yeah, you know, sometimes it's two months, sometimes it's like nine months, but typically we're talking a period of months, not days. And one of the first and most important steps, as crazy as this sounds, is you're very unlikely to find what you want, you know, these, uh, these opportunities that are a better fit than what you have now, if you don't know what's a better fit. So it's worth saying out loud that part of the work to find a better fit is determining really what creates an amazing fit for you. And that ideal career profile, which was what Philip was alluding to with those minimums and ideals is a tool that we use behind the scenes to help establish what creates a better fit. And further, you know, without going too much into detail on what an ideal career profile is, you can just think about it as almost the, the checklist of what you need at a minimum and what creates your ideal next career step that not just is good for your work, but also is great for your rest of your life too, because it's hard to separate out life and work. So if you don't have that, it's going to be really difficult to know where to begin looking. And that's, that's the trick that almost everyone wants to jump past initially. It's crazy. I did like, we get lots of emails and questions and all kinds of things every day. And I love the opportunity to be able to help field those types of questions at the same time. Almost everyone wants to jump past that and move right into the step where I just go about getting the job. And one doesn't work without the other. It's like if you're going on a trip, if you don't know that you're going to Delaware, it's going to be really difficult to map the GPS to take you to Delaware. Uh, instead, you're just going to end up driving in circles in Montana. And, you know, as beautiful as Montana is, that doesn't necessarily help you out too much. Okay. So, first step, step one you've got to be able to go through and really define what it is that fits you. Step two, this is not right for everybody, but we find that it's right for roughly between 60 and 70% of the people that we work with going through and identifying a list of target companies that you suspect will fit with what you want. <laughs> so think about it this way. You've got this great uh, work that you've done about defining what it is that you want and need. Now you're making an educated guess about which organizations are more likely to be able to offer that for you. That way you can ignore all of the other job opportunities that are posted on LinkedIn and indeed.com and everything else that just depress you anyway. And instead start focusing in on those organizations that are much more likely to have what you need Anyways, it's a way to avoid wasting a whole bunch of other time. And then from there, uh, again, this is not right for everybody, but we do end up doing some variation with about 65% of, of people that we work with. We devise a plan to how can we, how can we figure out in fact of whether or not these organizations and the people within it are really right for, for you? Are they going to provide you what it is that you need? And we'll often design an experiment. One of the ways that that experiment might look is being able to reach out to people directly that are in that organization and just have short conversations with them, not in an informational interview style, because often informational interviews, um, <laughs> done in, Many of the ways that, uh, that you find blog posts on all over the internet, often those are done, unfortunately, with the impetus that 
you are searching for a job afterwards. That's not what you're doing at this stage. The only thing that you're doing and the only thing that you're concerned about is being able to figure out, is this, is this an area where I should pursue further? And if it is, then that's where you can, you can begin uh, more aggressively pursuing that organization, the opportunities within it. But that it can be a whole separate podcast too. And that's often where we'll help people out for a n- number of other months in order to create or find their best offer. Philip, I know we have another question coming up here too. What is question number five? And I think we've got a few questions from our audience as well. Yeah. Question number five comes to us from uh, Chris. And um, Chris asks, how do I showcase my experience and success in a, in a most effective way? This is so interesting that all of these are how questions. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't notice that until now, but all of these are how questions. Everybody wants to know how to do this. And this is, this is a really interesting one because this, like all the other questions, honestly is an it depends answer. It depends on your situation. It depends on, it depends on what you want. It depends on what you're after. It depends on what's most important to you. So it is an it depends question, but I want to give you some pieces that'll help you along the way as you're thinking about showcasing your experience. From what I remember of this question, I believe Chris comes from a background where she's already done and achieved a lot. And I think one of the challenges with do, with having after you've done and achieved a lot in one way or another is knowing what to put on there. So here's the rule of thumb that that we use. What is the format you want to showcase your experience and success in? And then how do you tailor it to uh, what is going to be needed by the people, the real people that are going to be reading it, experiencing it, listening to it, if it's a case of a conversation or an interview, whatever it happens to be. So those are the two questions I would urge you to consider. And let me give you a couple examples here. In the case of a resume, Let's just take that. This is part of the reason why resumes are not the most effective approach. Um, I was just having a conversation with my friend David Spikoviak with, uh, from Coaching for Leaders um, the other morning, and <laughs> we're having a conversation about how resumes are just so ineffective for hiring people. Let alone, let alone, you know, being able to have. Uh, you know, being able to put them out there in a way that is going to get you hired. It's just a very ineffective way to be able to transfer that information. And one of the biggest challenges for that, that is really, really difficult for both people to create a resume and employers to really get useful information out of it is tailoring it to the needs of the individual employer. Okay. So Knowing this is such a challenge, (laughs) what I can do to be able to effectively showcase my experience and success in the most effective way is to do a little bit of homework and understand, hey, who's actually going to be reading this thing? Because if I'm I'm an HR, that's going to be different than if I am only a recruiter 
which is going to be different than if I'm the hiring manager, which is going to be different than another person too, depending on what their role and their motivations are. So the more that I can know about who's actually going to be reading this thing and get it to them directly, that's going to be really, really useful to me because then I can tailor it to what is going to be likely important to them. So let's say for a second that I am in marketing. Maybe I have had a background where I've, you know, progressed up in marketing and I've done everything from, you know, like digital marketing and like, you know, cost per click strategies all the way to the other side where I've designed a strategic um, strategic marketing plans and you know, help companies grow many, many, many times over. If I am applying for another role in marketing and I want to put a resume in there, then uh, if I'm getting this directly to the, maybe it's a VP who's going to hire me, I want to make sure that I'm putting on there what the VP is going to be most interested in. Chances are that VP is going to be interested in growth. They're going to be interested in um, specific experiences that relate to where they want to take uh, the organization or where they're supporting the organization direction. And the more that I can represent those pieces of my background, the more that that's going to be relevant to the person who is reading it, in this case, the VP versus if I'm putting, uh, if I'm sending this to the recruiter, the recruiter is probably going to scan it for um, different types of keywords that fulfill out those sets of experience. So two different people, two different sets of motivations. The reason I'm going into all this detail though, is very, 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 very few people actually take the time to consider this. And consequently, that means that if you do, you're going to have a heads up. You're going to have a leg up over everyone else that doesn't. Here's a, here's a quick example. Um, recently, uh, took applications for an executive assistant. You know, that's, that's something that you know, we spent a long time uh, receiving applications. We received a thousand applications, not a joke, well over a thousand applications for one position. Out of those thousand, we had less than 20 really do a great job of tailoring the the position at all. Like that's that's really, really, really low numbers. The reason I'm sharing that for you is that is sometimes really, really, really common. And that means that <laughs> take the time to take the extra time to be able to do that. Okay, same thing is true for the interview too. Um, same thing is true for the interview and the way that you might be able to showcase your experience in the interview is understand about what these people care about. And I think that you can ask questions in an interview format as you're going along or even have conversations before the interview. One thing I've done a lot is actually reach out to people in advance. Once I know who I'm going to be interviewing with or reach out to other people in the organization and say, what does this person care about? It really very, um, very much way to create your own cheat sheet to what creates relevance. Philip, anything that you'd add to that? Yeah. So really good points. Whenever I think about this, I think about the word really effective and, and showcase. So um, I, as you mentioned, Scott, resumes can tend to be not the most effective way, depending on, on what we're looking to showcase and who we're looking to showcase to. So the two things I always think of when I think about this question are um, 
essentially what is the message we're trying to get across to our audience and what's the most effective way we can do that. Sometimes it's a resume. Sometimes it's um, actually going and physically talking to the person if you can do that. Um, sometimes this might be reaching out to them on LinkedIn or uh, Twitter. And I've been on this podcast saying I've did the same exact thing to, to Scott himself. But I also think about the second part is how do you also showcase your experience and your success? And often this also can mean lots of different things too, from resumes that Scott was talking about, but also LinkedIn, but this can be in multiple times when you are increasing the amount of interactions you're getting with that potential audience. This might be volunteering experiences. This might be just literally talking to people. This could look in so many different ways. So the way I think about it and how I think of, uh, ask myself this question is what is everybody else doing and what can I effectively do that's simple, easy, and the opposite from what everybody else is doing that also might take myself out myself out myself <laughs> outside my comfort zone a bit too. So when I always think about it, it's what's going to be the most effective way to really getting my point and my value across to my my potential audience, and what can I do differently than everybody else is doing to essentially showcase who I am that's beyond a resume. I think we have one, I think this rolls actually right into the question that we have from our audience too. And uh, I'm reading it here and I hope I'm getting your name right. This is from Shilpi Shilpai. Um, you can correct me on which, which way to say it. However, it says, you know, I'm lost on how to write my transferable skills and justify it on the resume. Most of the companies want to hire people with experience in the project that they're working on. And I think you're absolutely right. That's true. Like most companies and most people, and keep in mind, like the more that you can focus on people as individuals, the more that it'll help guide you as to some of the right answers for the situation. Because companies don't hire people. People in companies hire people, as it turns out. And... um you are right that those people often want someone who has as much experience as they possibly can that relates to what it is that they're doing. I want that. Uh, the next next person wants that. It's it's definitely a thing. That said, there's two things to consider here. Those people are never going to get ever <laughs> the exact combination uh, that is 100% of what it is that they feel like they want and need. I have um, I have really not met <laughs> too many people where they're like, oh my goodness, this is 100% exact match uh, and it's just absolutely perfect. Like that rarely ever happens. Instead, they're going to they're going to hire a candidate that doesn't have all the experience. That's what that means. So, the more that you can make it instead of the exact project, but think about how to make it relatable, that's going to give you clues about how to write it out. You know what's even better? Exactly what Philip just said. Philip mentioned that resumes are <laughs> ineffective at best. So, the more you can not rely on the resume, to do it for you. And the more that you can have those human to human interactions, we just find that when you do that, it overcomes so much of the stuff that are problems on resumes. Because the other thing, right or wrong, is that 
when we have familiarity with other human beings and know and understand more about them, a lot of those questions are overcome about whether or not you can do the job and whether or not you're a fit for the job. Again, that little tidbit of what um, what makes up human psychology is it can be misused. <laughs> it can definitely, if you're really good at that, it can definitely get in, you into some roles that are not a great fit. Um, however, I, I think that when you're using it uh, with the intention of making sure that you're getting into a role that really is an amazing fit for you and you can absolutely contribute very well to the organization, then that's going to be a much, much better move being able to you know reach out and have a conversation with the hiring manager or reach out to somebody who can help and help you or hire you and begin to get to know them again you know back to our dating analogy the same way that uh, that you might do if you were if you were dating yes you can do it on an app but ultimately you're probably unlikely to get anywhere close to getting married until you have a human to human interaction so that's what i would encourage you to do uh, in some of the ways that we talked about earlier as well. And feel free to let us know if if that helps. But I, I think that's a great question. It's one that we get on a regular basis. And it's one that is really difficult to be able to do well. And it's also right why we continue to get that, that question. So it's also one that we spend... Um, a lot of time answering when we're working with people in a one-on-one basis through our programs like you know, Grudine Bootcamp or our signature coaching program or otherwise, like helping people go through and understand how do I how do I find you know, these people's contact information or how do I reach out or how do I find where these people actually hang out in one way or another? That's hard stuff to do. It really legitimately is. And most people are not aware of how to be able to make that happen. And that's that's why this can feel intimidating in many different ways. And you know, on that note, that's something I would encourage you to, if you don't know what other steps to take, but know that you really want work that fits you, work that is much more meaningful, work that you wake up in the morning and you feel good about. Doesn't mean it's easy, uh, but it does mean it's the right type of challenges for you that leverage your strengths and ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, that is, is meaningful in the right ways for you and fits what you want and enables the other parts of your life at the same time. And if that's something that you're not sure exactly where to begin, or you understand where to begin, but you want to move in faster, then I would invite you to personally drop me an email, scott at happentoyourcareer.com. We have literally just opened uh, one of the most successful ways that we help people move through to be able to get work that is much more meaningful and pays them well. And that's Queer Change Bootcamp. And uh, it's a program that we've had around and developed when about uh, 10 or 12 iterations now. I've actually lost count. We've had so many iterations. And we've continued to improve it again and again and again. But drop me an email, scottandhappenedyourcareer.com and just put conversation in the subject line. And when you do that, I'll actually introduce you directly to Philip. 
who you've heard earlier on in this in this podcast, are director of client and student success. And you and him will have a conversation about what it is that you need, what specific type of help you want, where you want to go and what you know about that. And he'll recommend the exact right type of solution for you in your situation. Because as it turns out, you know, not, uh, not all humans have the exact same situation. So would it absolutely encourage you to do that? Scott at happened to your career.com conversation in the subject line. We have so much more coming up for you next week, right here on happened to your career. We actually have a student who worked with us in our career change bootcamp program. And she made a really amazing change. She's over in the UK. And here's a little bit more about her story. All of you on attendance, this is where Josh drops in a clip of that next upcoming episode. All right. All that and more right here on Happen to Your Career. We'll see you the very next time. Until then, I am out. Adios. Thank you.